If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We're going to cover a couple chapters tonight in the book of Isaiah. And before we start, Isaiah, of course, in the Old Testament, I just want to pass along a couple things that's taken place. Um, there is the uh, ladies' study tomorrow night. Ladies, I just want to remind you, it's not too late to join that study. So if you'd like to come, come. And um, we'll make sure that you got everything that you need for that lady study. 7 o'clock, expecting to see Jesus, Am Graham Lott. And then high schoolers are being reminded of some events coming up um, this weekend. So uh, Friday night with the girls. And then also the boys are going to go fishing on Saturday. So it sounds like a lot of fun up at Red Feathers Lake. So uh, parents get the permission slips and everything that you need um, for those activities on Friday, Operation Christmas Child Sewing Day, nine to three o'clock here at the church, and uh, so um, you know if you'd like to be involved with that, we'd love to uh, have you come. And Teresa Romero, who's here, um, you can ask any questions or call Thursday morning, uh, tomorrow morning, and, and um, she'll answer the phone and answer any questions you might have. So they do a, a wonderful work all year long, sewing shorts and and dresses, and they're going to finish up on some dolls. For the shoe boxes, OCC shoe boxes, that we will be, I believe, the collection church again for how many straight years we've done that, like close to 15 straight years. So we collect all the shoe boxes in November. So looking forward to that coming up in November. So let's get through September 1st, right? So ladies breakfast on Saturday, ladies. Hey, if you can just um, just come. If you're signed up, we, we um, are going to be set up for you. And if you forget to sign up, just come anyway, 8.30. And it's free, no cost. Love to have you come 8.30 on Saturday morning. And then Koinonia Fellowship, Jerry and Sandy Sanders home. There are addresses there, phone numbers, 6 o'clock, potluck dinner, time of fellowship, and you are all welcome to that. So um, with young adults happening on, um, on Friday night, uh, ladies' study tomorrow night, ladies' breakfast, uh, Koinia Fellowship, you got great opportunities to continue to be in fellowship with one another. And I hope that we, we do that. I hope we have a desire to do that, um, to just um, come together as much as we can and be encouraged and blessed by the body of Christ and the family of believers. It truly is a privilege uh, to have that. There is also a family fall night coming up on September 29th. We want you to to look at that. There's a flyer, so invite somebody out. It's for the kids. It's all free, 4 to 6 o'clock, so note that as well coming up uh, at the end of the month. Also, there is, I believe, uh, a sheet out there if you'd like to help with that. That would be a blessing to put. They're going to be putting a maze together, and they'll have a photo booth and all kinds of, of neat things, crafts and stuff that is going on uh, so the kids can have a great time and families as well. So take a look at that sheet and get involved if you would like to or just come and enjoy. Bring a neighbor. That's, those are great things to like bring a neighbor to or a friend or whoever because um, maybe they, they're a little hesitant to come for a service, but you can bring them to something like that, and, and they can see that we're not scary, and, um, and um, that, uh, you know, they can be blessed and, and enjoy it uh, in every way. So t always look at everything that is in your bulletin, as I just highlighted those things, and of course we update everything on our webpage, CalvaryChapelGreeley.com. We want to, as we go into our study, we want to pray for the Carolinas. There is a, 
a, uh, as you know, a hurricane that it's gone down to category three. Some suggest that it's going to, to pick up to category four again in the morning and then um, maybe perhaps hit uh, the Carolinas as a category four or a category three. Um, some of the models, the European model, has it, um, most of it hitting the coast of North Carolina and then heading south. Uh, the European model has it stopping right before the coast and then heading south down towards Charleston, which would be the worst scenario because with that hurricane spinning off the coast, it's going to push all that water um, up against, uh, of course, the mainland, uh, and the surge is going to be a lot worse. But um, not only the high winds, but the rainfall. They're predicting uh, in some pockets up to 40 inches of rain. So we need to pray for them. Um, how hard and difficult it would be to have to evacuate. They evacuated the, uh, the whole coast there. And, and then to go away and wonder if you have a house if you come home. And uh, so uh, we want to pray for them. Uh, we want to pray for those that are in, in, uh, affected by the storm, about 10 million people. One of the things that we do here at Calvary Chapel when I do Calvary Live on Tuesdays is we broadcast in North Carolina uh, on uh, Truth FM. So um, I know one thing, watching the news and hearing from the people back there, is the ground's already saturated. They have had a lot of rain lately and up through Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, some parts of it. So it's been very wet. So the ground's already got a lot of moisture in it. And then with all this rain coming, there's no place for the water to go. So we want to pray for them uh, here tonight as Lord we do. We just lift up those who are in the path of this storm that is going to hit in a short time, Friday morning. Um, we pray first of all that life would be spared. Uh, we know that's the most important priority. Um, but those who are trying to get away, uh, families, and those that is difficult, I mean, even trying to get gas, the gas stations run out of fuel. Um, Lord, that everyone would get out and that you would be with uh, those that um, are the first responders, the, the emergency management teams and uh, that are there, the state level, the local levels, um, the, the FEMA, that they would all come together and, um, and, and be a blessing and a help for the people to first of all get out of the worst of this storm. And then, Lord, we pray that even as we just lift us up to you, that you are the one that, as we're going to read tonight, being reminded that you're the creator of all things and nothing's too difficult for you. So we pray that you would weaken that storm, that it wouldn't strengthen, but it would weaken. And, and somehow, um, as we can make models that it stops and goes along the coast, but somehow that it would have the, uh, a less of impact than, than thought. And, and so, Lord, we just commit this to you. But I also pray that this would be a time that, um, that people would look to you. And, Lord, that the Christians... Uh, would uh, proclaim your goodness and, and um, that Christians would be able to shed light and, and hope, a message of hope in a time where some perhaps feel like it's so hopeless. Lord, our nation needs you. And yesterday we observed uh, a time that it was very terrible 17 years ago. And those of us who were around, we remember that day. 
And Lord, I remember just being there a few weeks after September 11th with other pastors standing in the midst of the rubble when it was still burning. How overwhelming it was. And Lord, it was a, a day that, that changed our world and our, our nation forever. And it reminds us uh, that even as the scripture said, uh, David wrote that some trust in horses and chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We need you and your help more than ever. And even as we read the book of Isaiah, how relevant it is, the message that is given to us of a God that's brokenhearted over people who have rejected him. As he declares his love for them, his claim on them, his desire to bless them, to work in their lives, but yet they would not come to him. And we see that you have blessed this nation so tremendously. We have so much to be thankful for. I am thankful for those who serve our nation honorably, even as a young man that has come to this fellowship uh, for years since he was a little boy. That will be leaving next week to go into the Air Force to serve our nation in an honorable way, just as others before him have gone. And Lord, we pray for him that you would bless him and that you would use Luke and keep him strong and protect him. That Lord, you be with his parents as, as they send him off. And Lord, I, I do pray for our first responders and Lord, those peace officers, those who are firefighters, those who are, are going to be they're the, the rescuers and all those involved in what's going to happen here in the next few days, but also in our own community. Lord, that you would be with them and strengthen them. So we're thankful for them, that they are ministers of God, as you call them. But Lord, our nation is losing its way. And we know that there's a battle for the soul of this nation. And it's not going to be won by politics or a political party. It's gonna be Christians getting on their knees and praying. And I pray that there would be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on this place. Lord, I think about even in the book of Acts that as the word of God increased, that the number of disciples increase that there be true revival that takes place in this church, a revival that starts in our hearts even here tonight. And Lord, that there will be revival in this community, in this state. We look around and we're concerned. We hear how the drug problem is getting worse. We see the, the, the violence and almost every day on the news, our local news of shootings and Lord, major crimes against people and it concerns us we see that a culture and a nation getting further away from you Lord we pray for you Lord that you would work in our midst and that the church would turn to you 
Because judgment begins in the house of God and there be repentance in our midst. Lord, we're linked together to church. There be a coming back to your word and standing on truth and righteousness. And Lord, that our nation, we would cry out to you and repent of our sins. We pray for wisdom for our leaders, for our president, whether we like them or not. We are commanded to pray for them. So we pray that you give them wisdom, especially over the last, the next few days in, in this, this storm coming. And Lord, that you would be with them as they desired to just tackle the problems that we face. And that somehow, that there would be a turning to you. So Lord, we're in perilous times and we here tonight are reminded that we are here for such a time as this, as we see the coming of the Lord is drawn near. And that we would occupy till you do come. So Lord, may we be watchful and vigilant and, and sober and not get weighed down, as Jesus said, to be careful not to do that with the cares of life and worldliness and drunkenness and everything else that Lord, we're just pay attention and Lord, keep our eyes on you. So bless this time now as we study your word. We lift all these things up to you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, Isaiah chapter 47, as we're in this section of Isaiah that started in chapter 40, that you really hear the heart of the Lord towards his people as he is calling them back to worship him, to turn to him, because they had gone into idol worship. And of course, as you read the historical books of the Old Testament, particularly as you read First and Second Kings and, and, and First and Second Chronicles, Chronicles deals with the nation of Judah and the kings of Judah, but First and Second Kings deals with both the kingdoms, the one to the north, the ten northern tribes of Israel, and then the house of Judah to the south. And we know that they went through difficult times as they would be involved in idol worship and turning away from the Lord. So the prophets come on the scene, just as Isaiah did, beginning at the time uh, that Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, Isaiah writes in chapter 6, and that he would continue to the reign of uh, Manasseh, where Manasseh was saw him in half. But Isaiah is delivering a message for God's people to turn back to the Lord. And as he's speaking the words of the Lord, you really sense the heart of our God towards his people. He says, I have redeemed you. I loved you. I have a purpose for you. You are to be a light to the other nations. And he goes on and he says, I'm the creator. And I'm the one that is truly God. And there is no other God. As he has repeated that, as he says, I am God and there's no other. I am God and there's none like me. So I am the one that's the true God. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt, gave you this land, has blessed you. And why are you turning to those idols? You take a piece of wood and as you take it from a tree, a branch, and you take part of that branch and you carve an image out of it, you prop it up, you worship it. It cannot see, it cannot speak, it has no understanding. And you worship it, it is worthless. It is false and it can do nothing for you. And I am the true God that declares the end from the beginning. No one else or nothing else can do that. And the wonderful thing about this book is that it 
dares to prophesy as we've gone through Isaiah, we have seen many prophecies that were uh, to be fulfilled in the near future, even as we go through chapter 47, that Isaiah is speaking these things about 100 years, 150 years before it would even happen that Babylon would uh, be humiliated by the Medes and the Persians. But we know that as he speaks of the, the prophecies that would be a, a near fulfillment is what we call it, even as we continue through Isaiah, we're going to see that the prophecies of Jesus in his ministry. We've already seen some of it. The suffering Messiah as we get into chapter 51 and 52 and 53 that all those prophecies were fulfilled to the very letter but we can also have confidence that the prophecies that have a future fulfillment are indeed going to be fulfilled because he's the one that sees the end from the beginning. And he's saying the idols you worship can't do that. Matter of fact, Part of the tree that you make an idol with, the other part you throw into the fire to cook with, to, to warm yourself with, that part of the piece of wood is more helpful to you than the idols are. So he's, he's trying to reason with them. And as he does, he is sharing his heart with them that I still love you. And I've called you. And you're created for my purposes. And what I hope and pray for us that are going through this as we go through it together that we can really see the heart of the Lord for us because this is a message for us today. That the Lord loves us and he created us. And we know that Revelation 4 that we're told that we are created for his good pleasures. We know that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created to bring glory to him. We were not created to bring glory to ourselves. And he's already said, I'm not going to share my glory with any of those images. And he will continue to say this in this chapter that we're going to go through. So the Lord is pleading with his people, a broken-hearted father that is saying, turn back to me, come to me, but you would not come, is what he sees. And it would lead them to captivity. So as we continue here in chapter 47, we read that verse 1, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were another name for the Babylonians. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate and take the millstone and grind meal and remove your veil and take off the skirt and uncover the thigh pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. So using poetic language here, talking about uh, how Babylon uh, likened to a virgin daughter, never been uh, violated, never been invaded. And of course, as we've already discussed that in the previous chapters that it has been prophesied that God would raise up Cyrus to come against Babylon. And that's what is being spoken of here is that Babylon is going to be humiliated. It's going to be humbled. Babylon was a proud empire, a powerful empire. Now, again, he is writing this about 700 B.C., about 100 years before the captivity of Babylon uh, with the, the Judah going off into captivity would begin. And we know that Babylon, at this time that Isaiah is writing this, that they were a little empire. They were not 
not a powerful empire at this time. And the Assyrians were the ones that were the powerful empire. And they are beginning to decline, as we saw in chapter 37, as an angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers as they surrounded Jerusalem. So the Assyrians at this time were on the decline. The Babylonians are increasing in power, still not the world power at this time. And here is Isaiah that is speaking that the time is going to come where Babylon is going to be humiliated and is going to be invaded. And the city of Babylon, as Nebuchadnezzar, you recall in the book of Daniel, was boasting how, look at this beautiful city, the hanging gardens. And, and, and he was humbled by the Lord at that time in Daniel chapter 4. But it is believed by historians that the walls, some say, they believe were 360 feet high. And they were wide enough, those walls, the outer walls of Babylon, that where you can raise six chariots on top of it. And then there would be the Euphrates River that ran underneath the wall. There was a moat around the city. And then there was an inner wall. So it seemed like there's no way that Babylon was going to, you know, be invaded. They would lock, of course, the gates if there was any threat against them. And that's why I believe in Daniel chapter 5 that you have Belshazzar that's there having this party the night before Babylon falls. And he's having this party with a thousand of his lords. And they're drinking and they're toasting to the gods of Babylon. Because I think that there is Belshazzar saying, no way is Cyrus in the Medes and the Persians that are outside this wall going to get to us. We can lock the gates and we'll be okay and everything will be fine. And what the Lord has said uh, uh, 170 years before it even happened, that you're going to be exposed and you're going to be broken and you're going to be brought down. And in verse 4, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Kind of like this insert here uh, that our Redeemer is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. The true deliverer is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. That title used 28 times in Isaiah, only used six other times in the rest of the Scripture. I believe most of that is in the book of Deuteronomy. And sit in silence as we continue and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance. I have given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily. And you said, I shall be a lady forever. So that you did not take these things to heart nor remember the latter end of them. God allowed the Babylonians to carry the kingdom of Judah into captivity. He used Babylon as an instrument of judgment. And that's, of course, what you see with Habakkuk. Habakkuk that is there in his, in his you know, tower and, and he's struggling. Why are you using the Chaldeans to bring judgment on us? Because Judah was in idol worship. He had made a covenant with them that if you forsake me, that you're going to be defeated by your enemies and you're going to go off into captivity. And we know that here the prophets from Isaiah to Jeremiah and the others that came on the scene warning them and pleading once again for them to turn back to the Lord. But they would not listen. And they would not turn back to the Lord. So they go off into captivity. And Jeremiah, even as it says here, that I will give them into your hand, you showed them no mercy. Babylon, you showed 
Judah no mercy when you came against them. 605 B.C., Daniel and the choice men of Judah are taken off into captivity, and the treasuries of the temple were taken off to the Babylonian temples there, as we know that it was told that uh, Hezekiah, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Those envoys that came to see you in about 720 B.C., that Babylon is going to grow to where they will come against Judah and take the treasuries, everything that you show them in the house of the Lord, away to Babylon and the choice men of, of Judah away. And you remember that it was told to Hezekiah, it won't happen in your, your day. And Hezekiah goes, oh, good, at least there'll be peace in my day. A little bit of a, diff, uh, uh, a disappointing response, I think, uh, to Isaiah from Hezekiah. Well, at least everything's okay in my day. When I think about our young people, I think about how difficult it's going to be for them if the Lord tarries in 20 years, in 30 years, in 40 years, when they become my age. How difficult is it going to be? Because I look back in my 26 years of ministry and how different it is, how our culture is in moral and spiritual decline and more rapidly than ever before. I look at the last 10 years, and I think all of us, we, we sense that, don't we? How difficult it is going to be for them. And I don't ever ha- want to have the mindset of, well, you know, I'm getting older. Hopefully things will be okay as long as I'm alive. No, we want to pray. We want to pray for our younger generation because, listen, it's going to be hard for you guys going to be hard for all of us, but particularly if the Lord tarries. And I pray that you are strong in the Lord and strong in the word of God. And as you hear Jesus say that you build upon the firm foundation that when the storms come, you'll be able to stand. But if you don't, you're going to be like the fool who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. You see, it's not just knowing the Bible and knowing the Word of God. It is living it out. That's what wisdom is. Not just having a head knowledge, but Lord, I want to trust in you and trust in your word. And I pray that for all of us. And I pray for you who are young, that you would make it a priority to continue to grow in the word of God and get closer to him and grow in his love and to know that you are going to be used of the Lord as you do that. And he's going to strengthen you and help you. And for all of us to be praying, you know, every day, Because the Lord can come back tomorrow. He can come back tonight. He might come back before I finish speaking here. Who knows? We don't know the day or the hour. Or every day that it tarries, it seems like, just as Paul would say, that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Babylon's going to come. Take away those those choice men, Daniel away into captivity, and then 597 B.C., Ezekiel, more of the temple treasuries were taken off, historians say. Ezekiel would go off into captivity. 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes in as Judah rebelled, and he said, that's it, destroy Jerusalem, destroy Solomon's temple, and they leveled it. And Jeremiah prophesying, Jeremiah the weeping prophet, says to the leaders, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, Turn to the Lord, look to him. And he would be very graphic as he would give these visuals to them. And he takes a pot and he goes to the valley of Gehenna. And he takes the pot and he throws it down. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you. 
It's going to be death and devastation like you've never seen before. And yet they would not heed the words of Jeremiah. They threw him into a pit. So the Babylonians, even though they were used for judgment against Judah, the Lord says, you showed them no mercy, but judgment is going to come to you. They thought their kingdom would never come to an end. Nebuchadnezzar thought his kingdom would last forever. And you might remember that it was in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, is, that chapter is called the very foundation of Bible prophecy. And Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, and, and he goes to his magicians and soothsayers. The wise men of Babylon is what he did because he was troubled by the dream. It kept him, you know, from sleeping. He stayed awake thinking about this dream. Here is a man, and I find that intriguing, who had everything, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and overseeing the most powerful empire, Nebuchadnezzar had absolute rule. If he said something, it was law. And if he changed his mind five minutes later, it was law. And we see that in Daniel chapter 3. But here is Nebuchadnezzar. He has this dream. He's troubled by it. He calls for his wise men. He said, listen, you guys, tell me the dream, dream and the interpretation of the dream. They go, we can't do that. We can't tell you what the dream is. Tell us the dream. We'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no. I want to know you guys are, are not a bunch of phonies and that you're real. So if you are real and you can see the divine, then tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And if you don't, I'm going to start lopping your heads off. They said, we can't do that. So he begins to kill the wise men of Babylon. While that's going on, Daniel hears the commotion. He asks the chief eunuch, what's going on? Nebuchadnezzar's man. He's going to kill all you guys. And Daniel says, tell Nebuchadnezzar, give me some time, and I'll give him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they have this, this prayer meeting. And the Lord reveals the dream to Daniel. Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, here's the dream. You saw an image and that image was made of different metals there was the head of gold there was the arms and, and chest of silver the thighs and, and belly of brass the legs of iron and then what you also saw that there was the feet that had clay and iron mingled together in ten toes and as Nebuchadnezzar says yeah that's true that that was the dream then Daniel said here's the interpretation that Nebuchadnezzar you are the head of gold that's you. The metals go from more valuable, more precious, gold, silver, brass, iron. And you're the head of gold. You're the most powerful man that has ever ruled. But your kingdom's going to be replaced by the chest and arms of silver. That would be the Medo-Persian Empire, which is going to be replaced by the belly and thighs of brass, which is the Grecian Empire, you know, Alexander the Great. And then the legs of iron speak of the Roman Empire. And then the feet have iron with clay and the ten toes. Daniel says something very important. He said that those are ten kings that are going to be ruling at the time. You see, the vision, the dream that he had also included this rock that came and hit the image in its feet. And the image collapsed and, and turned into dust. And then the rock grew, which speaks of the kingdom of God. And, and when the kingdom of God comes, in the days that it comes, these ten kings are going to be existing. About verse 44 of chapter 2 of Daniel. 
So we know that in the last days, here is Daniel giving this, this prophecy of the empires that would come on the scene from the time that Nebuchadnezzar is ruling to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And those ten toes are ten kings that will be there during the time that the kingdom of God is established. That will, by the way, last forever. And that's why we look for this this extension of the Roman Empire, the, the iron legs. And, and here you have the feet and toes with, with clay mingled with iron. It's brittle. It's not quite, quite like the Roman Empire, but existing there in the last days. So that's why we look for this, what we call this revived Roman Empire that is coming on the scene. And we've looked to Europe and European unions and all the prophecy people say they were so excited when there was 10 nations. There it is, the 10 toes. Now I think there's 21 nations. But it's interesting. Stay tuned. Because some of the leaders of Europe were saying, you know, we need to restructure it and we need to have 10 leaders that will kind of oversee this whole thing. So how it's all going to work out, we don't know. But the 10 kings are going to be on the scene. Well, here Daniel, he has a vision in chapter 7. And instead of seeing uh, uh, the, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, of this man, this man made of different images, he sees it as four beasts. And, and it's interesting because I believe that Nebuchadnezzar, he's seen man's governments according to man's view, you know, gold and silver and precious metals. Daniel has a vision directly from God, and it is a vision of how God sees man's government as, as beast. The lion, Babylon. The bear, Medo-Persian. The leopard, Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire, he moved fast with a small amount of army. Then the fourth beast, the fourth beast, he doesn't say what beast it is, but Daniel's drawn to it. It was dreadful, it was horrible, it had big teeth, it destroyed everything in its past, speaking of Rome. You know what I personally believe the fourth beast was? Just an opinion of mine. Don't, please don't make theology out of this. Leviathan. Satan has been called in Isaiah, symbol of Leviathan, uh, uh, this creature, this dragon-like creature that existed that Job speaks about. Did he see a Leviathan with dreadful teeth? And it had ten horns that heard the ten kings, and the little horn came up in the midst of them. Very fascinating, the, the detail, prophecy, and and we perhaps are going to be living in those days and be raptured right before those ten kings come on the scene and the little horn, the Antichrist, comes on the scene. See, Nebuchadnezzar thought his kingdom was going to last forever. So in chapter 3 of Daniel, he makes an image all of gold. And what he was saying is, is that my kingdom's going to last forever and that you are going to worship that image at the sound of the music. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't do that, would they? Listen, I want to say this. You know, we as Christians should be out voting. We should care about the issues that are going on, but our hope is not in human government. Our hope is in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and the, knowing that the kingdom of God is going to come. Please remember, even as David said, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now I was going to ask Barbara, there's that song um, that in, in kids' ministry, some trust in horses, 
Some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord. And then, you know, you got to do the clap and the galloping kind of thing. So we should do that, you know, with the kids. (laughs) We pray for our nation. The issues are important. I get that and I understand that. I love this nation. I love this nation. I am so appreciative that those who live before me, who work so hard, that I can benefit in my family and the blessings that we have. That's why it breaks my heart to see what's going on in our country and the decline spiritually, morally. But this nation is not going to last forever. None of the nations are. The kingdom of God is going to last. I do pray that there's a mighty revival that goes on because I believe that is the only hope for us. I really do. And I pray that there's such a revival that when the rapture happens, man, so many people go. But I don't know. And even as we talked about on New Year's Eve that it concerns me that our nation is not mentioned in end time prophecy. There's no mention of the United States. So what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what it means. But I hope and pray that you and I, that as we're in this time of grace, that we would be a light to others and pray for our community and our state, for our nation. Because that rock is going to come. And it's going to hit the image and the feet and it's all going to collapse. And the kingdom of God, which we belong to, is going to last forever. Babylon, you're going to be brought down. They thought that they were on top of the world. They thought they were unstoppable. But you're going to be brought down as well as the other kingdoms. And in verse 8, as we continue, Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come to you in a moment, and one day the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. They were defeated and brought down by Cyrus and one day Cyrus Belshazzar having his party we've talked about it he dries up the Euphrates rivers diverts the flow of the Euphrates river the soldiers go right underneath the wall they go in the inner wall the doors are left open which by the way is prophesied by Isaiah as we saw in chapter 45 and they walk in and they kill Belshazzar there and they kill the, the leaders of Babylon only Daniel that we know of is spared Daniel interpreting the, high, the writing on the wall to Belshazzar, who was so afraid as that hand came and wrote on the wall, and Belshazzar, your time is up. Your time is up. And here is the Lord warning his people that time is coming where you're going to go into captivity. And he's pleading with them, turn to me. We have the opportunity to tell people to get ready. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us, right? 
The Lord may come for us individually at any time, or the Lord can come for his church. But we want to be used to get people ready, to tell them the Lord is coming back, and the Lord did come to die for you. He made you. He loves you. And he wants to save you. And I pray that we would not back away from that. You know what culture is doing to us is culture wants us to bow down to that image. When you hear the music, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of you need to bow down to it. And they said, we are not going to do that. We are not going to do that. And you can go ahead and throw us in the burning fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar, but we're going to be true to our God and he's our deliverer. And I pray that we would not bow down to the statue of, of culture and our society and, and screaming at us to compromise and to bow down to that which is wrong and compromised and contrary to what the Word of God declares to you and to me. And unfortunately in the church, it's creeping in where the church is compromising, getting away from the Word of God beginning to line up with culture, calling evil good, even calling good evil. So we want to stand on the word of God. We want to stand on truth and righteousness as we're going to see that Isaiah is going to say that we are to. And we are to know that, that um, this world is going to come to an end, even as we have seen it in Isaiah, even First John declares it. But it's interesting. You're going to be brought down in one day. When we get to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, that Isaiah prophesies, can a nation be born in one day at once? Speaking of Israel. May 14, 1948, Ben-Gurion declares independence for Israel. They become a nation. And one day, after 2,000 years of being out of their homelands since 70 AD, when Titus and the Roman legions came in and destroyed the second temple, and Jerusalem once again leveled it, and Josephus, the Jewish historian, says 1.1 million Jews were killed during that time. That blood flowed through the streets of Jerusalem. And that magnificent temple, even as Jesus said, not one stone would be upon another, that they set it on fire and they tore the temple apart to get to the gold that was there melting between the cracks. And you can go to Israel today and we will take you to a place where they took the stones that were there, the temple, and they threw it over the walls into the Terrapin Valley. They've excavated that. And it's right there, just as Jesus said would happen. And they were driven out, 100,000 taken into slavery, million killed, and all of a sudden Israel no longer has a homeland, but the Lord said that you're going to come back. The prophets of the Old Testament said you're going to come back. And 2,000 years later, a miracle takes place. In one day, they become a nation, even as Isaiah said. It's absolutely incredible as you look at these things. But as we continue in verse 10, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. And you will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Notice that you've trusted, he says, in your wickedness. Your wisdom and knowledge have warped you. When we trust or anyone in sin or wickedness, it ends up warping 
individuals and a society. And trouble will come. And that's a lot of the reason why we see trouble today. Because we live in a society that has rejected truth and that which is right. So trouble has come upon us. Just as he says here, your, your wisdom and your knowledge has warped you. Man, you guys, you're out to lunch. has led you astray is li- literally what it means. In verse 12, stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stars gazers, the monthly prognosticators uh, stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be a stubble, and fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be as a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to set before. In verse 15, thus, they, uh, thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. You shall wonder each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. These sorcerers will not help you. Again, they did not help Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. They could not help Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. They did not help Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh has a dream. He's troubled by it in the book of Genesis. He goes to his wise men, the wise men of Egypt. He says, I had this dream. He even told him the dream. Tell me the interpretation. We said, we have no idea what the interpretation is. And then finally, the butler says, hey, you know what? There's this Hebrew guy down in, in prison. He's been there for about 12 years. And he has the gift of interpreting dreams. His name is Joseph. Bring him up. Joseph, they clean him up. They bring him up. And, and Pharaoh says, I hear that you interpret dreams. He said, it isn't me. It is God. And I'll tell you what the interpretation is of the dream as Pharaoh told him the dream. Now, if it would have been me, I'm going to be real honest I would have said, listen, Pharaoh, I'll tell you the interpretation of the dream, but you need to get me out of here. You need to give me some money, you know. You need to do something for me, you know. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back, you know, a little bit. That would have been my tendency. Listen, I'm just being honest with you. Joseph didn't do any of that. He says, I'm going to tell you what the interpretation is, not me, but it's God that's going to tell you. And as far as he was concerned, he was going to go right back into that prison. Such integrity that Joseph has. I want that kind of integrity. I want that kind of heart to deliver the message of the Lord to others. Not, you know, to get the glory because he will not share his glory with any man or any woman. For me to be noticed and my name exalted. And he says, here's what the dream means is you saw seven fat cows and you, then you saw seven skinny cows. You're going to have seven years of good crops and, and harvest. So you need to store up the grain because you're going to have seven years of severe famine. So you need to appoint somebody, Pharaoh, that's wise enough to do this. And Pharaoh says, you're going to be the one. And in one hour, he went from prisoner to prime minister. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, as the scripture says, that in due time he will exalt you. And if he exalts you or me in any way, it's because we are humbled before the Lord and being used of the Lord. Just as he did with Daniel, with Joseph, with David. But I'll tell you this. 
that it will come through the trials and the difficulties. And he's going to talk about how they're going to go through the refining fire. And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said that Nebuchadnezzar, we don't care what you say, how mad you're getting, if you order that that furnace be heated up seven times more than normal, we are not going to bow down to your statue. And we know that our God is our deliverer. And he got angry. It says his countenance changed and got red. And he gave the order, you know, heat that furnace up seven times. I, I don't know if you can do that, but he, he did. And so they go down this catwalk. They throw him in. The guys that threw him in were killed. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the burning fiery furnace. And he's down there on his portable throne. And he's looking into the door. And he says, wait a minute. How many guys did we throw in? Three, O king. Well, I see four. And the fourth looks like the son of God. Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they come out, they didn't smell of smoke, not one burnt hair. They weren't smoldering. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took their time coming out because there was a fourth. Come out, guys. It's like the language there come out, come out, come on, hurry up. The only thing that was burned were the ropes that had them bound. And then the proclamation would be made that I will exalt these three men in my kingdom and you will worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't think that Nebuchadnezzar was saved at that time because he said, your God is a good fireman. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I'm going to make everybody worship your God. He, he, he was just, it wasn't until he was humbled for seven years in Daniel chapter 4. So maybe you feel like that you're going through the furnace right now. Listen, the Lord is with you even as we sang. And he loves you. And he hasn't left you. And the only thing that's going to burn up is those things that have us all bound up. And worldliness, self-reliance, you know, self-focus, whatever it may be. And in the fire, listen, listen. Don't withdraw from the Lord. Draw close to him because there's a sweet, sweet opportunity of fellowship with him. I see four and the fourth looks like the son of God. He didn't just see them through the fire. He was with them in the fire. And he's with you with every fiery trial that you may be going through. Oh, that I may know him, Paul would write, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. For me, I like to pray, oh, that I may know you, and the power of your resurrection. Hallelujah, Lord. Man, I want to be used to, to preach to thousands. I want many to be saved. I, I want, you know, my ministry to be seen and, and all of this. We can have that tendency. But Paul didn't stop there. Miracles to be done, all of this. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that is his resurrected power living in you and me, and the fellowship of his sufferings. 
And there's a sweet level, a deep level of fellowship that you have through the sufferings that you go through. That the excellence may be of him and not of us. That the light that comes from us vessels, as clay pots, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that when we go through the brokenness of our lives, that the excellence of the glory may be seen that is of God, not of you and me, and then he gets the glory. So if you're going through the fiery trials, you're going through brokenness, it is for his glory, and he's going to use it for his glory, and he is with you, and the thing that will burn up is the thing that has you bound up. Maybe it's fear, and, and maybe it's doubt, and all those things that I experience in my own life, and the Lord has taken me through the fiery trials at times, and I am thankful for what he has done in my life, because he's only caused me to trust in him more. And I know that the next fiery trial, that it feels like the enemy has thrown me into that fiery pit to burn me up, that the Lord is with me and he's going to be faithful to me. And he's going to be faithful to you. It still hurts. It's still hard. But Lord, you are faithful. And you're going to be with me. And I can trust in you. Because you promise through your word that you will be with me. So know this, if you're going through it, that he hasn't forsaken you. That he's going to work in you and through you. And you're going to have that sweet level of fellowship. Don't draw away, draw close to him. A deeper level of fellowship as you go to him and cry out to him. So amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word and I thank you for this chapter, and oh, Lord, there's so much. And we learn from Isaiah that 2,700 years ago, the heart of the Lord was turned to me, and, and, and they wouldn't. And Father, I pray that we would always trust in you, that we wouldn't bow down to this world or how the world screams at us Christians to compromise and um, to forsake truth. Because we know that the world's wisdom and knowledge has led the world astray. It's getting darker. It's getting more evil. It's getting more weird. It's getting more warped. And Paul even said that in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. So, Lord, I pray that we would be a light. We would stand on truth. That even as we've been talking about on Sunday, that we would... Show love to others. Speaking the truth in love. And Lord, that the people would see your light in us. And Father, I want to pray for, for anyone who's going through fiery trials. Going through difficulties. That they would know that you're with them and your word is true to them. And Lord, that you are going to see them through. And the pain is real. And the circumstances are hard. And there can be a hole in your heart. And there can be grief and sorrow that is deep. And I pray that the Lord would give you the comfort that, that you need. Because he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations. 
even as Paul wrote that when he says that we were pressed beyond measure, despaired even of life, and that you would know that he desires to work somehow, some way in your situation, in your life, in your loss. Stay close to him. Lord, keep us close to you and to your love and to your promises. Father, I thank you for tonight. And I just pray that as we go home, that we would have a heart of gratitude because we are here hearing from you. Bless your people in every way. I pray that this church would be used in these days that we are in to give truth, to declare the handwriting on the wall that Jesus Christ is alive. And there is one God. And it was a God that sent his son to die for us. The son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who came and died for us. That's how he responded to this world that is warped, us, to our sin, by going to a cross and dying for us. So, Father, I pray that we would declare that gospel, that good news to others. And, Lord, that we would have a love for others, for each other. Thank you for tonight. I pray you bless us as we go home. May we abound in faith and hope and love in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good.